Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Love is Everywhere, the podcast, uh, the show where I give comedians assignments of things that are supposed to boost their happiness, and then I interview them about it, and we find out how it went. Um, today's guest is my lovely friend, Leonard Chan. Um, this was just such a wonderful conversation about uh, taking pride in accomplishments, patting yourself on the back for the good work that you've already done, uh, instead of constantly looking to the future and the next goal that you want to accomplish. Being able to actually kind of like enjoy uh, the simple pleasures of things that you've already accomplished. Um, just a really delightful conversation. Um, we would get a little emotional at the end. Uh, I think that you're really going to enjoy it. Um, if you want to support Leonard, um, he's performing all the time, so you can check him out on stages across Toronto, etc. cetera. Uh, you can find, uh, his Facebook fan page, Leonard Chan comedy and stuff, which is the best named fan page of any comedian that I know personally. Um, and if you're listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, uh, Leonard has put together a fundraiser that's on September 17th at Hughes Room. Uh, it's a fundraiser for uh, Julian Warwick, who is uh, diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and uh, they're putting on a comedy show for him. He's always been a huge fan of comedy, uh, so it's kind of like a joy raiser. Uh, and all of the proceeds are going to be going towards his treatment and to help support his wife and daughter. Uh, so please, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, Go September 17th. You can find information on Leonard Chan comedy and stuff. <laughs> I just can't stop laughing at the the name of that page. Anyway, uh, if you want to come and check out our live show, Love is Everywhere, and you're based in Toronto, uh, you can find us at Comedy Bar on the third Sunday of every month, and you can find tickets for that on comedybar.ca. And in the meantime, please enjoy uh, this comedy and stuff with Leonard Chan. Leonard Chan. Tracy Hamilton. Leonard Chan. Thank Tracy. you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, this is going to be fun. You're one of my favorite people to talk to about this kind of stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So how we start is with an honest, how are you? Okay. So would you like to go first? Or would you like me to go first? Um, I can go first. That's fine. Yeah. How uh, are you? I'm good. I, uh, I did hurt my back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm old. That's basically what happened. <laughs> I turned 41 and I stepped onto a treadmill. Yep. And then it felt like I got shot. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just the thought of exercise was enough to collapse yeah, your body. Yeah, pretty much. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's where I'm at in mm -hmm. terms of age. But other than uh, the fact that my physical uh, form is falling apart, uh, everything else is good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And how, how are you? Um, I am very tender today. <laughs> I am like, a, I don't know, like, I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to get like in touch with my emotions and what's underneath everything. And it's really yeah. like opening me up. <laughs> so it's working is what it's you're saying. It's working. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling very like, like soft and, and squishy okay. today. Very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> How does this differ from any other day? Um, I am usually so busy feeling everyone else's feelings mm. that I can't even clearly decipher what emotions I'm having underneath everything. Ah, so today you are internalizing. Yes. You're, you're focusing inwards. Yes. That's good. Yeah. You need to do that from time to time. Oh, totally. Yeah. Just kind of check in, see what the state of the union is. And exactly. Then, and and uh, like, I don't uh, allow very much time for that. Yes. I tend to keep myself so like regimented and scheduled and busy that I don't really have time to like sit in quiet contemplation. I mean, most people don't. Yeah. I mean, especially if you live in the city and mm -hmm. you're working and you're constantly on the move here, there, blah, 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 blah. Nobody sits down to like navel gaze, which sometimes it's, it's you know, good. I wouldn't say nobody though. And uh, no, like I'm I've not been, saying, yeah, you're true. That's true. I've been trying to kind of uh, look to the people in my life who are the opposite, who are so focused on their internal world mm. and their emotional life uh, and try to like channel some of that. Yeah, but myself. only some. Only some. <laughs> you need balance. There's people who I feel are too much yes. that way. And it um, is very much reflected in their social media. <laughs> <laughs> 
Perfectly put. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the topic that we're dealing with today is achieving goals. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I gave you an assignment. Do you want to share what the assignment was? Uh, sure. Uh, so yes, Tracy gave me an assignment to um, list uh, the top five goals that I have already achieved uh, that are not like necessarily big goals, but like just things that were important to me. Yes. And uh, let me try to see if I recall correctly what the goals are. Cause I left my phone at home, which I never do. I have them here. If you want me to pull them oh, up. I think I remember. I think the first one was getting my driver's license. Yeah. Do you want to talk about why that was important? Um, so that was important to me because I grew up in the suburbs and it was nowhere, uh, near public transit. So in order for me to get any, and all my friends lived like mid or downtown, and for me to get anywhere, uh, it was difficult. I had to rely on my parents to like drive me places. And pretty much like when I got my driver's license, it was suddenly like, oh, there's like a modicum of independence and self-sufficiency, which is something that I am I'm into. <laughs> mm-hmm. I totally get that. I also grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. So that being able to drive. Oh, boy, yeah. that opens like. Yeah, a whole yeah. new world. It, o- it opened up the opportunity for me to be designated driver all the time. Right? <laughs> for my friends. I, uh, w- I partied for New Year's as designated driver at the Brunswick house. Oh, my God. And you never want to be at the Brunswick house sober. Absolutely not. You're, like, just acutely aware that everything is very sticky. Yes. Everything is so sticky, and every room you into walk into is a different nightmare. Yeah. It's, it As was terrible. Person. It was terrible. And it's, like, a Rexall now, but, like, that building still has herpes. Like, there's no... <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, the walls will never forget. No. No. Oh, God. If those walls could talk, they would be screwed. Screaming. <laughs> okay, so uh, the core of why that was important to you, getting your driver's license, was the independence and self-sufficiency. Yes. So that's something that you hold in high value? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, I think that's just like a value that my parents kind of instilled in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an only child too, right? So like I didn't have uh, siblings that, uh, like I spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. Really. So like a lot of the time was like, so it was even worse. Like when I I couldn't leave the house and I was always alone Mm -hmm. and this was before the internet. So I couldn't like chat with people. Uh, I I I would be on the phone if I was, but then like now I'm limited to like a 10 foot radius around one spot in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I am old. Literally tethered. (laughs) Yeah. Just literally tethered. There were no cordless phones in my day. Everything was corded. And it was like the dial phone. So if you want, like, you just don't want to dial anybody with a nine in the number because it's too much work. Yep. And um, yeah, man, it was just, uh, so yeah, once I got the driver's license, it was like, oh my God, finally, a little bit of freedom and independence. So not only the freedom and the self-sufficiency, but also like a means to connection with other people. Yeah, exactly. That would be huge. This is very, very big. Okay, totally get why driver's license was yeah. on that list. <laughs> and also I had to get it uh, because it was like, I my birthday was literally like f- a week away from uh, when graduated licensing was being introduced. And mm. if I failed that first time, then I would be on graduate licensing, but I am not. So yeah. I just barely passed my driver's test. Just barely. But you did. But I did. But I almost killed me in the driver's inst- instructor like why did they pass you so it was like death was imminent during the test i feel like that was a mistake we we (laughs) did the whole test everything went fine i'm three-point turning like nobody's business parallel parking like an expert yeah and then we go to i go to make a left-hand turn into the like driving whatever that's whatever it's called the building where they give you uh, your stuff right right i go to pull back in make a left-hand turn and don't see a car coming. And we very almost get T-boned by this car because of me. <laughs> and me and the driver's instructor just look at each other. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to forget that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if it's of any comfort to listeners, I don't currently have a driver's license. So you're not uh, in danger <laughs> of me on the road. I'm too much of a daydreamer to drive. Mm. I space out. Yeah, that's not a good quality in a driver. No, no it's not. Uh, okay, so give us another thing that was on your list, another uh, goal. So the other thing, losing my virginity. That's which, a big one. That's a big one. Um, but uh, yeah, it happened a little later in life for me. So I was like, uh, 
So prior to that, like it's a self-esteem thing, right? Yeah. Because prior to that, I'm like, I'm unlovable. Like nobody mm-hmm. wants to do anything with me. And it was, yeah. Um, and then uh, and then it finally did happen. And I was like, ah, I'm not a monster. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I remember like it, it was one of those things that was like, uh, I did like, is in my head a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, when, especially when you're like a teen, like I was no longer in my teens when it happened, let's mm-hmm. just say. So, um, yeah, I guess like, you know, when you're in high school and it doesn't happen, you're like, well, I guess I'm not cool. And then you get to university and it doesn't happen. You're like, mm. I mean, it did happen before university ended. I'll have the listeners know, <laughs> <laughs> but it took some time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but yeah, but that was, that was a big, that was like a, a self-esteem thing for sure. Yeah. Do you want to give us another one? We might circle back to that one. Okay. But I want to get more out of you. What was the next one? I think, oh, I learned to play Elf. Mm-hmm. The theme song from Elf, if anybody remembers Elf, uh, which was an acronym for Alien Life Side Form. note, if you don't remember Elf, yeah. stop this podcast immediately. Yes. Go back yes. and watch the entirety of Elf. 100%. I think about that song about asparagus like once a month. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also ignore the fact that he likes to eat cats. That's, uh, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't take any lessons from that. But yeah, it was a, it was a, a sitcom from the 80s. And I had a theme song that was uh, piano based. It was one of the few, uh, although Mr. Belvedere also had, but I had, but this was purely instrumental. Alpha had no uh, lyrics, so then I learned to play that on the piano, which was fun because, uh, again, because I'm Asian, I was forced to play piano when I was a child, and I didn't often get to play what I wanted to play, and then it just became a chore, and I didn't like it, uh, and then I stopped as soon as I could, and then, uh, but like music is just fun, man. Music is great. So this was like when I got up my. Um, when I got my house, I first thing I bought was a piano so that I could then just play whatever I wanted to play. And that's what I do. And I'm not very good. I, let, me, let me say that, <laughs> first of all. Um, you are a very musical person. Yes. I do love music. I'm just not... Uh, I just haven't put in the time to, like, develop the skill. Like, I'm just still, like, I like yeah. I need, I need piano lessons is basically what mm-hmm. I'm saying. But, like, I don't have time. So, like, I just mess around. I just, like, invent songs. But, like, they're with, like, no skill whatsoever. Yeah. Um, what you said about, like, you were forced to learn piano, but it just becomes a chore and you don't get to play the things that you really want to play. Yeah. Oh, man. I think about that all the time. I think that we just teach children those skills wrong. I remember... <laughs> I had so many friends growing up who were in piano lessons and all of them hated it. Yeah. And uh, I never got to take lessons in anything Mm -hmm. Uh, and no classes, no lessons and stuff. We grew up with like no money. Mm -hmm. So there was never, uh, I never had the privilege of getting to go to piano lessons. And I remember looking at my friends who were able to do piano and detested it so much. And I was just so unbelievably (laughs) jealous of the fact that they were learning this thing and so sad that they don't appreciate how cool it is that they're able to learn how to do this. But it's because we make kids play stuff that they're not interested in at all. Yeah. If you, I feel like if you opened it up to them and we're like, is there a song that you really want to learn? And then let's learn how to get to the point where you can play that. Yes. I, I will say like in the later years that did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, for, and I also didn't play piano actually when I was a kid. I played mm-hmm. because I was a weird kid. I was like, I want to play the electric organ. <laughs> so Leonard, I couldn't love you more. So that's what I learned how to play. So it was as cool as like, it was like the one with like two keyboards mm-hmm. and then I had like the feet keys too. So I'm playing like this, like, so yeah we actually we still have an electric organ in my mm. parents basement which they do not know how to sell and they really wish they knew they're like oh God, teach us it. ebay please take it yeah i mean i don't know where i'd put it but like yeah uh i own an electric we still have an electric organ and i remember like they would make me practice all the time so i'm in the basement mm. practicing and then people would come over and they're like where's leonard they're like he's in the basement playing with his organ just <laughs> 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 <Which is> true which <laughs> very true uh, so tell us about why that was important to you to learn um, the theme song for Elf. Because. Or uh, what that oh. felt like. Well, first of all, like when you successfully learn how to play a piece of music, it's very, especially one that you enjoy. It's um, it's very satisfying mm-hmm. because it's work, right? Like, and that's, and I will say this, like the, the reason why um, 
I mean, at least I know why Asian parents force their kids to play piano or anything, really. They, were, they force their kids to do things over and over and over again until they're good at it. Mm-hmm. It's because, um, you know, they, they want their children to become excellent at something and then reap the benefits of that excellence, like to, like, so to feel competent and to feel, uh, you know, get the... the the applaudits, I guess. Yeah. Uh, is that a word? Uh, <laughs> uh, a praise or whatever for having achieved that excellence. And then that is the reward that will keep you working. So even if, so they force you to work through like the parts you don't enjoy because that's just, that's how mm-hmm. you get good at things, right? You're not always going to love it. And I think, so I don't necessarily disagree with it, but like now I could put that mindset towards learning something I enjoy. And also, just the nostalgia, you know, like yeah. just to be able to play Alf. I'm like, oh, you know, it's just, it, you know, it, makes, it made me happy inside. And yeah. it made me feel the joy that I think music is supposed to make people feel. Mm-hmm. And that's why that was important to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. Another thing from your list. Um, what was the next thing? Oh, axe throwing. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to win an axe throwing championship, <laughs> which is a weird goal. Uh, but. Have you ever thrown an axe or no. done axe throwing? I should take you sometime when my back is no longer exploding. Yes, please. Um, it's super I did, fun. I did knife throwing once. Oh, that's hard. It I, was extremely hard. I was not good at it at all. Neither am I. I, my, I only went once, but I couldn't. I could not figure it out. For my sister's fortieth birthday, we did uh, like archery, mm. knife throwing, and uh, like a like shooting. Were you at a strike or whatever it's called? Like. I forget what it was called. It was at some weird, like, creepy warehouse in Scarborough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> many like, We so circled many around the building happening. and we were like, is this where we get murdered? Um, <laughs> well, and then Scarborough. we went inside and we were like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we know which weapons. They, they, they might allow you to choose. Knife, mm-hmm. arrow, or... Um, yeah, knife throwing is hard. It's much more finesse to throw a knife than is to throw an axe. I was a very good archer and a very good shot, but mm. not a very good knife thrower I, I at could, all. I could see you being a good archer. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just have an archery quality about me? You're elfin. Yeah, yeah, my elvish nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And elves, elves uh, have a, you know, a proclivity towards uh, the yep. bow and arrow. Um, yeah, no, I could totally see you being great with the yep. bow and arrow. Add me to your apocalypse team. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, actually, I took archery when I was a kid. My mm-hmm. dad took me. And this is actually a um, total tangent, but uh, it was the f- first. Okay, so we were trying to shoot the bow and arrow, and my dad shot his arrow and missed really badly and hit the radiator <laughs> <laughs> and just like steam started coming out and then the radiator just died <laughs> and, and my dad's like just very sheepish yeah right like because he missed like by like a solid 10 feet mm-hmm. like and hit like uh, a piece of equipment and uh i remember that it was the first time i was like oh yeah my dad's not good at everything <laughs> Um, it's an eye-opening moment. It was an eye-opening moment, but uh, okay. So you're axe throwing. So axe throwing, yeah. So axe throwing is. Um, so the thing about axe throwing is it it, it requires the way like the matches work is like you're 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 trying to score more points than the next the person next to you, but it's not like anything they do will really affect you. Yeah, it's not like a back and forth kind of situ- yeah, situation. Yeah, where you're not playing one on one basketball. You're impacted by what or, they've just done, and they're impacted by what you've just done. Exactly. I mean, it's like darts, really. It's a like um, side by side individual sport. Correct. So it doesn't matter what they do; it only matters what you do. So it's a, it's you know, but that but that's the, deep, Leonard. Right? <laughs> is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, but I know. But I do find that lesson is a. Uh, it's an important lesson, like to learn in life. For the most part, like you know, I mean, yeah, there's going to be obstacles, but like most most of the time the obstacle is you. Yes. And you're always the one standing in the way of yourself. And I think with axe throwing, it's just down to consistency and it's mindset and, um, you know, and, and yeah, in order to like, you just have to achieve like a certain level of Zen mm-hmm. and the, and then you just get tunnel vision. Like when I, so, you know, when I won uh, those championships, like it was, all I saw, like, it was just like the, the target. And then I just boom and then go get the ax, come back target. I didn't, I had no idea what my opponent was doing. It didn't matter. Right. And then, uh, and I think, so that became about like me beating my own personal best every time. And Mm -hmm. then having that be enough to like 
be better than everybody else. But like that was a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so much of that feeds into everything that this show is about. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's, that's a juicy one. Right yeah. There. No, the only thing standing in the way of you is you. That's most of the time that is true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I've been, I don't know, for years now, but especially this last little bit, I've really been focusing on how am I currently getting in my own way. Yeah. No, that's good, and that's good because that's something that you can control. Yeah, but but that's also a messy part of it for me because I have such a need to control and such a want to be in control. Yeah, that even my even my self reflection and my own personal work is just like, how can I control this? (laughs) It's like, how can I be the best at at self improvement? (laughs) How can I achieve self improvement? I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I think it's important that you recognize what you can and cannot control. Because then once you start, uh, once you apply that attitude of like, I must control this, but then you apply it to a thing that is not within your control, that's when it gets real messy. And you can only control two things. You can only control your choices and your attitude based on the results of those choices. That is it. Yep. So, you know, if you just limit your need for control to those two subjects things will probably be okay i know the listeners can't see this but i'm doing cartwheels right now (laughs) (laughs) and they're excellent oh backflip holy shit i'm very talented (laughs) i'm gonna arch while i do this oh my goodness (laughs) okay so what was the last one on your list of the five the last one if i recall correctly is i wanted i wanted to write a joke about mass murder (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which seems very specific. Um, but the thing is, uh, this is a joke that I wanted to write for like, I had the idea like two years ago or a year and a half ago or something like that. And it was a puzzle I couldn't crack mm-hmm. because here's like mass murder, obviously a bit of a touchy subject <laughs> and a it keeps bit. coming up. Uh, unfortunately. Oh, yep. Um, so, I mean, that's the nice thing about the joke. It, it will remain relevant for quite some time, but yeah, it's the- one of those topical jokes that unfortunately stays topical, <laughs> stays topical every single day. But, um, but yeah, it's a touchy thing, right? So you have, so whenever you're like tackling a more touchy subject in comedy, uh, you're on like a higher tightrope. Mm-hmm. Really, right? So, like, the acquire more. It requires more skill to be able to pull it off without offending the audience or making them cringe or any. Basically, about making them feel anything that's so negative that they don't laugh. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's really all. Com- like, that's the main primary goal of comedy mm-hmm. is to you know generate laughter. And so, I had this idea uh, for a joke about mass murder, and the basic premise is that like Asians are catching up to white people because they treat our murderers the same. <laughs> right uh like whenever it's a like a you know black or a brown murderer they're like oh it's the violent rap on the violent religion they blame the culture but if it's mm-hmm. a white person or an asian it's a suddenly it's a mental health issue yeah right? and so yeah they they so that's how i know that asians are catching up to white people <laughs> because of how they treat our mass murderers and then it became and then i was trying to figure out how to like that was the premise, but like i couldn't figure out the rest of the joke mm-hmm. for a while and to get it to work consistently and then when I finally figured it out, and it took like a couple of years because, you know, it took time to develop the craft, took time to develop the ability to perform the joke in such a way that it would, because um, it required, a, this particular joke required a certain level of acting, yeah, which I'm not particularly good at. So that's something I also had to get good at. And uh, and then when I got that joke working, it was it was nice. When I was like, oh, finally. I figured this joke out. Mm-hmm. Crack this puzzle. The, yeah, the satisfaction of having solved a puzzle. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like you and I think about comedy very much the same in that way. Mm-hmm. That yeah, there's the the solving of the puzzle and being able to um, manipulate the shape. Yeah. Until you get it just right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, to fit into wherever it has to fit. And with any subject like that, yeah, the puzzle is so challenging yes so challenging and uh, the thing about handling that material like you said like you're putting the audience in this position where they have to think about these things that are dark and Mm -hmm. uncomfortable but for them to be able to laugh at anything an audience needs a sense of safety yes and security Mm -hmm. um whether that's uh like a, a sense that you are trustworthy to handle this material. Yeah. That like you are still the alpha 
and you're still in charge mm-hmm. and they don't have to worry about what direction you're going to go in because they trust you. Yeah. Um, or for me, there have been jokes that I have that I still haven't finished solving the puzzle of where I want to talk about like darker pieces of my life in comedy, but the puzzle becomes uh, how do I show the audience that I'm okay, mm. that they're safe because they don't need to worry about me. Yeah. Because if they start worrying about me, then the whole thing falls apart. Yes. Yeah. And I, and sometimes it's, a, it's as simple as just finding a joke just to say I'm fine. Yes. And that's the thing is like the, you can spend so much time working on this puzzle and then sometimes it's just like, oh, I just need to change this word. Yeah. And then the entire thing becomes different. Oh, yeah. It's not. It's sometimes it's not even changing that word. It's sometimes just changing the inflection I yeah. use to say that word. And then it makes all the difference. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay. And that's why comedy is so much of it is like trial and error. It's like an iterative, it's an iterative uh, process. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say about like, you know, the audience needs to feel safe. Because I think a lot of comedy is um it's a benign intrusion it is right like you kind of you want to like make the audience feel uncomfortable but at the same time safe yes right so they know like oh this is this is fine it's like if it's like tickling somebody you know exactly right you're invading their space but they know you but if a stranger came up and started tickling you (laughs) you're not gonna laugh you're not gonna feel tickled this is not ticklish this is horrifying (laughs) slash assault right yeah well it's the whole playing with tension and release yeah exactly yeah exactly um uh, and and that's and that's the that's the thing now especially like you know when you there's so many like things that are now becoming more um uh, fraught, I'll say, because like there's obviously going to be topics that like are difficult to talk about. Like whenever you want to tackle those topics, like rape, abortion, or like mass murder, anything where mm-hmm. like people are going to have like a, a a strong opinion, yeah, on it either way, and um, those become very difficult. But like those topics seem to be expanding. Mm-hmm. Right. And more people are having strong opinions on more things. Yeah. More things are being added to that list, which is, I think is good for comedy. It is. I it's agree. great for comedy. And I a lot of people, I think I know there's like a subsect of people who complain, you know, yeah, political well. correctness is, but I was like, no, that's more tension is good. That's yes. more for you to play with. That just means you have to get better. Exactly. That's <laughs> the whole thing is like, I feel like, uh, that attitude of like, Oh, PC culture is ruining comedy or like, Oh, you can't talk about anything anymore. Yeah. It's like, like, you can't talk about anything because you're not good enough exactly. to talk about anything. Exactly. All yeah. it's doing is raising the skill level that you have to be at to be able to handle that material. Exactly. So the answer isn't um, like going back to how it was and let's all just be okay with us talking about anything. Yeah. It's you need to be a better writer. Yeah. The puzzle is more complicated now. So you have yes. to be better at solving puzzles. Yes. That's what it is. Yes. It drives me absolutely crazy <laughs> when I hear people talk about that. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, you can't talk about anything anymore. You can talk about literally anything. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about anything you want. You can handle any kind of content yeah. in your comedy. Yep. You just have to be a good enough writer yes. to be able to write that joke in a successful way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, there are people who say there are no, you can't joke about rape. And you, I mean, no, you 100% some people can. shouldn't. Some, because maybe you some can't, people shouldn't. Because you're not good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> or because, yeah, I think it's not just that. It's like you're not good enough to do it, but also like because of your, maybe maybe your position in society would make you uh, where that puzzle is, like the, the degree of difficulty is just too high. And like, mm-hmm. it's like the amount of skill required to pull it off because of that degree of difficulty is possibly insurmountable. Yeah. Which is not to say it's impossible, but the probability is very low. So maybe you just are better off making jokes about cats or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, to say that it's impossible, I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think maybe it's ill-advised, but yeah. but not impossible. And if you can pull it off, I mean, that's that's a testament. Totally. And I think like the best test for that kind of material is you have to look at your joke and the way that you've constructed it and then reflect on who are we laughing at? Because mm-hmm. if it's something personal like that, then that's where you get the filter for, am I punching up or punching down? Yes. Who are we laughing at? Yeah, exactly. And I think like, I was just looking this up yesterday. I was like, why are there no like right wing comedians? I mean, Mm -hmm. there are, but like, and you would think like given 
you know, how much of North America is kind of going in that direction, there would be a market for this stuff. And there is, but none of them really achieve mainstream success. No. And I think a lot of it's because, you know, they do punch down. Yeah. A lot, you know, and it's like. I think it's also a sense of like, and and this is not meant to be disparaging in any way, but uh, a lack of self-awareness and vulnerability in a way where like, so much of like a right wing um, attitude is a construction of armor mm. and a deflecting. Yes. A scapegoating of other people outside of yourself. Yes. And so much of comedy is being able to laugh at your own perspective and your own behavior. Yeah. And to be able to pick it apart. Yes. And uh, admit your flaws. Uh, so, yeah, I think. Yeah. That and tends I, to make people a little more reflective. Yeah, I think so. And I also think that comedy like works when, I mean, I think at its heart, comedy is about delivering truth in an unexpected way. Yes. And so then truth, uh, like objective truth, sometimes does not align with right-wing ideologies. <laughs> <laughs> so it would only be possible to to have this comedy successful when you're dealing with a group of people who all believe in the same fictions. Mm-hmm. And then you can then then you can play off of those. But like if it's not universally agreed upon, then it's much more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. If a, yeah, you've got a right wing audience, they just want to watch you like play with puppets. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is they not to say. Jeff Dunham, they don't want, they don't, <laughs> they don't want you to go up there and like. Uh, yeah, yeah but, get but, but that puppet is saying some very terrible things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's not like, you know, like the puppet is there as uh, a proxy so that he doesn't get lynched, you know? Yes, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's okay, it's not me. It's it's the puppet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore the man behind the puppet. It's the puppet. It's not me. <laughs> He's a mind of his own. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So. Okay, so going back... To the sense of achieving goals. Yes. And accomplishing things. Do you find that you are very outwardly focused like that? No. 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 I'm very, I had to think about these goals. Yeah. Like, like I had to think about things that actually like really stood out to me where there was like some sort of, um, uh, like something that like uh, resonated emotionally. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and often like, as you, I mean, other than losing the virginity, most of these goals are pretty small. <laughs> But also, small isn't an objective truth. You know what I mean? Like, I, no, I agree. But yeah. because they, there's so- personal significance, right? Make something, yeah, large and, and important. A hundred percent agree. And I think that's the thing. Like, I don't. I've never been like a goal oriented person. Mm-hmm. Like, I know people who are like, you know, who are in. They have like a five year, ten year plan. If I have a five day plan, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I very much am like, no, this is what I got. Like, unless I have deadlines um, <clears throat> and that's someone else imposing their goals on me, uh, my goals tend to be more esoteric. Like, it's like, uh, I just want to get good at this. I want to get good at this. I want to get good, good at this. I see. Okay. Yeah. So your goals are less to do with, um, how do I put this? Image or outwardly observable success your goals seem to be more based in a sense of competency 100% because I don't I don't want to do anything unless I'm good at it yeah like if I'm gonna do something I want to be as good as I can be at it mm-hmm. right and so I'm gonna work to to try to achieve to maximize my my own potential but I don't like I didn't get a comedy to be like, oh, I gotta get these festivals. Mm-hmm. I gotta get this and that or whatever. Um, I got into because I was like, I want to write really good jokes. Like I want to make people laugh as hard as I can. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would say like that is about as outward of a goal as could be. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I want like this amount of laughter. Like I remember, but it's coming from a different place. Yeah. Like I remember, like early on, <clears throat> I would see comics. So like I remember, I remember the first time I thought this. I was doing a show in Kitchener and uh, Dylan Gott, who's a fantastic mm-hmm. comedian, he was headlining. And then the, and he was just telling his jokes and like the audience was doubled over, unable to breathe, slapping everything they could slap uh, because they were just having such a good time. And I was like, I want to be able to do that. Yeah. Like that, like that is amazing. And I, and so then, yeah, so that's kind of like, 
ultimately as, as outward of a goal as it's gonna get but i know like mm-hmm. in order to do that i have to you know learn how to write i have to do all that stuff and that's the stuff i yeah those are my goals oh this is really interesting <laughs> because um it's 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 just so interesting how um people can perform the same behaviors with such different things behind it so like where for so many comedians uh, the satisfaction in the laughter response from the audience is uh, like, okay, I can only really speak to my own experience. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to preface this by saying, I'm not proud of this. <laughs> <laughs> I love. <laughs> Which could be the tagline for this podcast. I love but, any admission that begins with, I'm yeah, not proud of this. I'm but. not proud of this. <laughs> but I feel like if I, and I'm not thinking this consciously Mm -hmm. like almost ever but if i really probe myself into why do i enjoy this laughter coming back at me for me it is the thought that each of these individual people laughing are seeing and affirming and approving of me Ah. that that is the satisfaction that I gain from the laughter response. Whereas, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like for you and what you're describing right now, it's more like to go back to piano. It's more like playing an instrument that when they laugh, Mm -hmm. you have played the instrument. Well, that is a perfect metaphor because that is exactly how I think of it. Mm -hmm. Like when I see an audience like, and every audience is different, as you know. Like, every audience is its own beast. And it's like, but every audience is essentially an instrument that I have to learn to play. And every audience is a different instrument. Yes. So each audience, each show is, can I be good at this instrument? Exactly. And then, and of course, there's going to be, and every audience, like I said, is very different. But there's going to be, obviously, like, uh, general, universal things that will mm-hmm. apply to each one. And then those skills will apply. But then there's going to be audiences where... You know, I can't quite get them that because then that's because there are skills required to play that particular instrument that, that I haven't, haven't learned yet. yet. And that's also what I want to learn. Yeah. You know, and that's that's part of it. Like, I mean, all of it is I think my biggest goal in life actually like and when it really boil it down is just the acquisition of knowledge. Yeah. It's just to learn as much as I can possibly mm. learn while I'm on this earth, uh, in the things that I'm interested in. Your life pursuit is the acquisition of knowledge, the um, gaining of skill sets, yeah. and uh, a sense of competency. Yeah, it's. I think it's just um, maximizing my own potential. Yeah, I mean, it's self actualization. Really, mm. is, is. I mean, it's a. Uh, if you're if we're going to look at uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, which is nice. I don't have to worry about food and shelter and and, and stuff like that. That's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, ba- I think basically that's what it is. It's that's where all, all the drive is coming from. Um, yeah. Like I'm not necessarily. I'm not looking for external validation so much. It is. Mm-hmm. I want to be proud of my of what I've done. Yeah. You know, and then and then like when I can make an audience really laugh, it's like okay, that that feels good to me. Because that's a culmination of the work and like and all, everything that I've put into it, and I, then I feel like okay, these skills I've, mm-hmm. I'm developing these skills, and that that makes me feel good. And I, I really do think that's like possibly a product of Asian parenting. Yeah, very possible. Well, yeah. just how you're raised and the way that you're affirmed through childhood, yeah, is going to have a huge impact on who you become later, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, like, it would be absolutely no surprise at all if the way that you were parented elicited this internal response in you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit, though. Because <laughs> I'm about to deconstruct that a bit. It might not just be that. I know it's my, my parents specifically. Because, like, I know, like, you know, other Asian kids, like, they very much are looking for external validation. So, like, I have to be a lawyer. They're not, like, I want to mm-hmm. be the best lawyer I can be or the best accountant or best whatever I can be. It's like, no, I want to be this because then I'll have money and then other people will respect me yeah. and whatever. And I, I, that's not, that's never been my drive. No, it's different for you. It's like how uh, for some people, they might... Uh, they might perform their actions with a sense behind it of I'll show them, yeah. but yours is more I'll show me. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Like I want to be better yeah. tomorrow than I am today. Yeah. And I don't want to make the same mistake twice. Do you have a, a sense of competition with yourself? Yes. 
I, well, I'm a very competitive person. Do and you have some, a sense of competition with others? Yes, but I think that I honestly, and I hope this is true for me. I honestly think that like I get that, like if I lose, I I, I hate losing. First mm-hmm. of all, I hate it. I hate it. But I don't think it's because they beat me. It's because I wasn't good enough to beat them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, and then that's what drives me to get better mm-hmm. is because like I want to win, not because I'm like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, I want to win because fuck me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> more cartwheels, more cartwheels. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, double backflip. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, that's so fascinating to me. And like, yeah, you and I are so similar in so many ways. And then uh, what's behind us is so different in so many ways. I mean, I I don't think there's any right way. No, there isn't. Right. So, so yeah, I think that's the beauty of it. As long as, as long as like what you're doing, it works for you and, and, uh, and you're still putting in the work and all that stuff. And that's great. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, uh, that inner thing and like what you were saying about like this is what drives me yeah i don't think that is ever going to change in you no, like in any sure. person whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. it is that that core thing that is driving your behavior and motivating you in whatever you're doing in life that's never going to really go anywhere and uh yeah, that's deep. the key is just changing your relationship with it mm-hmm. into something that's healthy yes right absolutely. because there's a way that that could manifest for you that is very unhealthy or compulsive. Oh, 100%. Uh, but there's a way to go into it where you aren't, um, yeah, d- driven by it in the same way. You aren't controlled by it. Yes. I mean, basically, I mean, I, I whether you're, you're validated externally or internally, uh, I mean, there has to be balance because it can very easily slide into obsession. Yes. And either, regardless of where the drive is coming from, that's it can be very dangerous. I have a question for you. Yeah. So with that sense of internal validation versus external validation, mm-hmm. what is your relationship with external validation? Like, are you able to take a compliment that you don't believe to be true about yourself? Oh, if I don't believe it's true, then I won't take the compliment. I thought so. <laughs> because I haven't <laughs> earned it. Right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, I mean... It's not like I don't like external validation. I mean, the external validation that really, I mean. Well, of course, everybody loves Everybody it. loves external everybody validation. Loves external but the external validation. validation, and just maybe this is because I'm Asian, but the external validation that matters the most to me is money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's just how the society works. And well, this it's is, also something that is um, measurable. It's measurable, and I need it to pay for mm-hmm. things. Yep, it's, <laughs> like a, it's a survival and, yeah. tool. It's a quantifiable measure of success. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, and I, you know, and part of me is like, God, I wish I didn't feel that way, but it's just a practical reality of of the society that we live in. And then that's how most people are like, that's how their worth is measured. Uh, But I will say this, like, you know, like I used to be an engineer. So my scale for what qualifies as, oh, this is a good amount of external monetary mm-hmm. validation has been drastically reduced. Where yeah. like, I'm just, I'm, I'm paying the bills yeah. with comedy. I'm not making any money beyond that, but I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. dipping into savings. And for that, I was like that, I'm very happy with that. There's, but I'm making like a fraction of what I used to make. There's really something to that though <laughs> of like, what is initially in your head as this is the measure of success. I will feel successful when blank. Yeah. Um, And how once you achieve whatever that is, you have to kind of uh, take in your surroundings again and, and think about uh, what is actually success to me. Cause you were in a place where you had a, like a solid career, mm-hmm. um, especially that industry, a sense of competency yep. and accomplished within your accomplishment within yourself. You had monetary success. And then after achieving all of that stuff, you kind of, uh, looked around yourself and went, I want to be a comedian instead. Yeah. <laughs> and then went into this totally yeah. different it's direction and uh, re-examined what your priorities were and what your scale was for where is success. Yeah. And the thing is, like, like I love comedy. I don't think I loved environmental engineering. Like, I, mm. I enjoyed it because, again, it's, it has a certain aspect of puzzle solving, right? Because then yes. you're given this problem of, like, here... 
is an oil spill that you have to clean up. These are all the parameters that go into having to clean. These are all the challenges and obstacles that you face trying to clean this thing up because it's like in a peat or what. There's like all mm-hmm. sorts of things. And then it's solving that puzzle. And every single site was a little bit different and it was it was good. But like, you know, I longed for the day where I could be unemployed. Yeah. Because... I mean, the goal as an oil engineer is you want to clean up the world and just these motherfuckers keep spilling oil. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, here's the thing, like the the world is fucked either way, I decided. And I was like, we're on the Titanic going down instead of the engineers trying to keep the whole thing afloat. I'm going to be the violinist playing us all the way down. I love that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go out doing what I love. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's kind of of that that's how that uh that was where that calculus came from really <laughs> <laughs> it was uh just despair for humanity and i was like i might as well make people laugh before we all die yeah oh my god i love that <laughs> yeah you as the musician on the titanic just i'm gonna play us out with the elf theme song yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, we gotta like play the Alf theme song in this podcast so people know what it is. Oh my god. <laughs> also, that asparagus song. Oh boy. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, I think about uh, it every time I eat asparagus. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's. Uh, I think. I think the important thing is like you're not always. Um, like I'll be successful when, or I'll be happy when. Like don't. Don't a don't tie your happiness to like your perceived success. Yes. Because uh, that's dangerous, uh, and just and then don't look at happiness as a metric. I think that's uh, yes. an issue for a lot of people, where they're like, "Oh, I'll be happy when," or I'll, uh, "Well, it's the postponement of happiness." Yeah, yeah. And uh, the like to go back to the sense of like accomplishing goals. We have this uh, very Western perception of happiness as being something that is external, yeah, as being something that you achieve yes and that is completely not the way that happiness works at all correct happiness is it should not be a goal happiness is a fleeting ephemeral thing that when it happens enjoy it and when it doesn't don't mourn for its loss (laughs) it's something that you're going to dip in and out of correct it's not going to be something that like you finally get that promotion that you wanted and then boom now I'm happy forever. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> no, that, like, I don't, I, and it's funny how like, uh, you know, they say the definition of insanity is like repeating the same behavior, expecting different results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how we don't look around at literally every person that has ever existed and not see how all of these people who have gotten everything that they objectively wanted. Yeah. Um, no one has achieved yeah. happiness. It's, uh, the thing that you can like achieve or work towards is an inner sense of peace and well-being. Yeah. Um, which is what my like entire pursuit in life is. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> and I think you, um, yeah, I, I, there was like a cartoon I saw where like somebody was like, I want happiness. Mm-hmm. And then like a Buddhist monk was like, well, take away the I that's wrong. That's ego. Take away the want. That's not going to work for you. That's desire. Mm-hmm. What's left. Yep. Happiness. Yeah. That's it. Well, it's just, uh, yeah, what you said before about, like, the only thing that you can control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is it we can't, like, suffering is going to happen. Right? Things are going to happen in your life that you have no control over. Yeah. Tragic events are going to happen. Grief is going to happen. Sorrow is going to happen. Yeah. It's uh, your reaction to it and having, like, done the personal work to have cultivated a sense of what I would call foundational happiness yes where even you can experience all of these like objectively negative emotions Mm -hmm. uh, and have these things happen to you and feel suffering and pain Mm -hmm. but underneath in your core you still have a sense of foundational happiness i think that's what we can work towards but it takes time and uh uh, continually renewed focus yeah and i think there's a difference between pain and suffering yes you know, like pain is inevitable, mm-hmm. but suffering, I think, is optional. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Because <laughs> um, uh, pain, it, suffering is your engagement with the pain. Exactly. The way that you're engaging with it. Exactly. And that goes back to the, you can control your attitude, mm-hmm. but the results. And sometimes the results are pain, mm-hmm. but you don't have to beat yourself up over it. And that's, 
and hold on to it. And when you do that, that's when you suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, boy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How do you feel? Do you feel good? I feel great. Yeah. Cartwheels. Cartwheels? Mutual cartwheels? Yeah. Look at us go. Just Ooh. spinning all around this room. Triple backflip. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and the rule of threes has been satisfied. Very good. Very good. Uh, so I like to end by giving you a genuine compliment. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, Leonard. Oh, I just adore you. You are it's, you are a good, like a good close friend of mine um, in and outside of comedy. And we've known each other for a while. I've known you like pretty much since I started. Yeah, me too. I think we started around the same time. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you just hold this very special place for me in my heart. And uh, oh, I might tear up a little bit. <sighs> me too. I told you I'm feeling all tender and sensitive today. <laughs> this is um, so nice. But uh, yeah, you hold a very special place in my heart. And uh, you've been there for me through really hard times in my life and uh, have seen me at weak points that I haven't shown to many people. And uh, I just really can't tell you how grateful I am for that. <laughs> well, I, uh, well, thank you for saying that. And also, yeah, I, I mean, I'm grateful that, uh, that you let me see those parts of you. Cause that makes me, yeah. I don't let everybody in like that. Yeah. I work very hard on, uh, the veneer. Um, and I think a lot of us do. Yeah. Look like, uh, I would describe it as like, I, I show my life like it's a highlight reel. Yeah. And, uh, I don't let people see the stuff that's cut out very often. Yeah. And, uh, but you get to see that stuff cause you've earned it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's anything, if you know about me is I love bloopers. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, show me all that stuff. I'll I, mess up a cartwheel for you. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, um, Leonard. Oh, that's what thank makes you us so human. much. Thank you so much for having me. This thank has been amazing. Thank you for amazing. doing it. And uh, to the listeners, go be nice to yourself and remember that love is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>